Section 19 of A Lear of the Steps, etc., by Ivan Turgenev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Asya. Part 1. At that time I was five and twenty, began N. N. It was in days long past, as you perceive. I had only just gained my freedom and gone abroad, not to finish my education, as the phrase was in those days. I simply wanted to have a look at God's world. I was young and in good health and spirits, and had plenty of money. Troubles had not yet had time to gather about me. I existed without thought, did as I liked, lived like the lilies of the field, in fact. It never occurred to me in those days that man is not a plant, and cannot go on living like one for long. Youth will eat gilt gingerbread and fancy it's daily bread, too. But the time comes when you're in want of dry bread, even. There's no need to go into that, though. I travelled without any sort of aim, without a plan. I stopped wherever I liked the place, and went on again directly I felt a desire to see new faces, faces, nothing else. I was interested in people exclusively. I hated famous monuments and museums of curiosities, the very sight of a guide produced in me a sense of weariness and anger. I was almost driven crazy in the Dresden Grüne Gewölbe. Nature affected me extremely, but I did not care for the so-called beauties of nature, extraordinary mountains, precipices, and waterfalls. I did not like nature to obtrude, to force itself upon me. But faces, living human faces, people's talk and gesture and laughter, that was what was absolutely necessary to me. In a crowd I always had a special feeling of ease and comfort. I enjoyed going where others went, shouting when others shouted, and at the same time I liked to look at the others shouting. It amused me to watch people though I didn't even watch them, I simply stared at them with a sort of delighted, ever-eager curiosity. But I am diverging again. And so, twenty years ago, I was staying in the little German town Z, on the left bank of the Rhine. I was seeking solitude. I had just been stabbed to the heart by a young widow, with whom I had made acquaintance at a watering-place. She was very pretty and clever, and flirted with everyone with me too, poor sinner. At first she had positively encouraged me, but later on she cruelly wounded my feelings, sacrificing me for a red-faced Bavarian lieutenant. It must be owned, the wound to my heart was not a very deep one, but I thought it my duty to give myself up for a time to gloom and solitude, youth will find amusement in anything, and so I settled at Z. I liked the little town for its situation on the slope of two high hills, its ruined walls and towers, its ancient lime-trees, its steep bridge over the little clear stream that falls into the Rhine, and most of all for its excellent wine. In the evening, directly after sunset, it was June, very pretty flaxen-haired German girls used to walk about its narrow streets and articulate, Guten Abend! in agreeable voices on meeting a stranger. Some of them did not go home even when the moon had risen behind the pointed roofs of the old houses. And the tiny stones that paved the street could be distinctly seen in its still beams. 
I liked wandering about the town at that time. The moon seemed to keep a steady watch on it from the clear sky, and the town was aware of this steady gaze, and stood quiet and attentive, bathed in the moonlight, that peaceful light which is yet softly exciting to the soul. The cock on the tall Gothic bell-tower gleamed a pale gold, the same gold sheen glimmered in waves over the black surface of the stream. Slender candles, the German is a thrifty soul, twinkled modestly in the narrow windows under the slate roofs. Branches of vine thrust out their twining tendrils mysteriously from behind stone walls. Something flitted into the shade by the old-fashioned well in the three-cornered market-place. The drowsy whistle of the night-watchman broke suddenly on the silence. A good-natured dog gave a subdued growl, while the air simply caressed the face, and the lime-trees smelt so sweet that unconsciously the lungs drew in deeper and deeper breaths of it, and the name Gretchen hung, half-exclamation, half-question, on the lips. The little town of Z lies a mile and a half from the Rhine. I used often to walk to look at the majestic river, and would spend long hours on a stone seat under a huge solitary ash-tree, musing, not without some mental effort, on the faithless widow. A little statue of a Madonna, with an almost childish face and a red heart, pierced with swords, on her bosom, peeped mournfully out of the branches of the ash-tree. On the opposite bank of the river was the little town L somewhat larger than that in which I had taken up my quarters. One evening I was sitting on my favourite seat, gazing at the sky, the river, and the vineyards. In front of me flaxen-headed boys were scrambling up the sides of a boat that had been pulled ashore, and turned with its tarred bottom upwards. Sailing-boats moved slowly by with slightly dimpling sails, the greenish waters glided by, swelling and faintly rumbling. All of a sudden sounds of music drifted across to me. I listened. A waltz was being played in the town of L. The double bass boomed spasmodically, the sound of the fiddle floated across indistinctly now and then, the flute was tootling briskly. "'What's that?' I inquired of an old man who came up to me, in a plush waistcoat, blue stockings, and shoes with buckles. "'That,' he replied, after first shifting his pipe from one corner of his mouth to the other, is the students coming over from B to a commerce. I'll have a look at this commerce, I thought. I've never been over to L either. I sought out a ferryman, and went over to the other side. Part Two. Everyone, perhaps, may not know what such a commerce is. It is a solemn festival of a special sort, at which students meet together who are of one district or brotherhood, Landsmannschaft. Almost all who take part in the Commerce wear the time-honoured costume of German students. Hungarian jackets, big boots, and little caps, with bands round them of certain colours. The students generally assemble to a dinner, presided over by their senior member, and they keep up the festivities till morning drinking, singing songs, Landeswater, Gaudeamus, etc., smoking, and reviling the Philistines. Sometimes they hire an orchestra. Just such a commerce was going on in L, in front of a little inn, with the sign of the sun, in the garden looking on to the street. 
Flags were flying over the inn and over the garden. The students were sitting at tables under the pollard lime-trees. A huge bulldog was lying under one of the tables. On one side, in an ivy-covered arbour, were the musicians, playing away zealously and continually invigorating themselves with beer. A good many people had collected in the street, before the low garden wall. The worthy citizens of L. could not let slip a chance of staring at visitors. I too mingled in the crowd of spectators. I enjoyed watching the students' faces, their embraces, exclamations, the innocent affectations of youth the fiery glances, the laughter without cause, the sweetest laughter in the world, all this joyous effervescence of young, fresh life, this eager pushing forward, anywhere, so long as it's forward, the simple-hearted freedom moved me and stirred me. "'Couldn't I join them?' I was wondering. "'Asya, have you had enough of it?' I heard a man's voice say suddenly in Russian, just behind me. "'Let's stay a little longer,' answered another voice, a woman's, in the same language. I turned quickly round. My eyes fell on a handsome young man in a peaked cap and a loose short jacket. He had on his arms a young girl, not very tall, wearing a straw hat, which concealed all the upper part of her face. "'You are Russians,' fell involuntarily from my lips. The young man smiled and answered, "'Yes, we are Russians.' I never expected, in such an out-of-the-way place, I was beginning. Nor did we, he interrupted me. Well, so much the better. Let me introduce myself. My name's Gagin, and this is my, he hesitated for an instant, my sister. What is your name, may I ask? I told him my name, and we got into conversation. I found out that Gagin was travelling, like me, for his amusement that he had arrived a week before at L, and was staying on there. To tell the truth, I was not eager to make friends with Russians abroad. I used to recognize them a long way off by their walk, the cut of their clothes, and most of all, by the expression of their faces, which was self-complacent and supercilious, often imperious, but would all of a sudden change, and give place to an expression of shyness and cautiousness. The whole man would suddenly be on his guard, his eyes would shift uneasily. "'Mercy upon us! Haven't I said something silly? Aren't they laughing at me?' those restless eyes seemed to ask. An instant later, and haughtiness has regained its sway over the physiognomy, varied at times by a look of dull blankness. Yes, I avoided Russians, but I liked Gagin at once. There are faces in the world of that happy sort. Everyone is glad to look at them as though they warmed or soothed one in some way. Gagin had such a face, sweet and kind, with large soft eyes and soft curly hair. He spoke in such a way that even if you did not see his face, you could tell by the mere sound of his voice that he was smiling. The girl, whom he had called his sister, struck me at the first glance as very charming. There was something individual, characteristic in the lines of her dark, round face, with its small, fine nose, almost childish cheeks, and clear black eyes. She was gracefully built, but hardly seemed to have reached her full development yet. She was not in the least like her brother. "'Will you come home with us?' Gagin said to me. "'I think we've stared enough at the Germans.' 
Our fellows, to be sure, would have broken the windows and smashed up the chairs, but these chaps are very sedate. What do you say, Asya? Shall we go home?' The girl nodded her head in assent. "'We live outside the town,' Gagin continued. "'In a vineyard, in a lonely little house, high up. It's delightful there, you'll see. Our landlady promised to make us some junket. It will soon be dark now, and you had much better cross the Rhine by moonlight.' We set off. Through the low gates of the town, it was enclosed on all sides by an ancient wall of cobblestones, even the barbicans had not all fallen into ruins at that time, we came out into the open country, and after walking a hundred paces beside a stone wall, we came to a standstill before a little narrow gate. Gagin opened it, and led us along a steep path up the mountainside. On the slopes of both sides was the vineyard. The sun had just set, and a delicate rosy flush lay on the green vines, on the tall poles, on the dry earth which was dotted with big and little stones, and on the white wall of the little cottage, with sloping black beams, and four bright little windows, which stood at the very top of the mountain we had climbed up. "'Here is our house!' cried Gagin, directly we began to approach the cottage. "'And here's the landlady bringing in the junket. Guten Abend, madame. We'll come in to supper directly. But first, he added, look round, isn't it a view? The view certainly was marvellous. The Rhine lay at our feet, all silvery between its green banks. In one place it glowed with the purple and gold of the sunset. The little town, nestling close to the river-bank, displayed all its streets and houses. Sloping hills and meadows ran in wide stretches in all directions. Below it was fine, but above was finer still. I was specially impressed by the depth and purity of the sky, the radiant transparency of the atmosphere. The fresh, light air seemed softly quivering and undulating, as though it too were more free and at ease on the heights. "'You have chosen delightful lodgings,' I observed. "'It was Asya found it,' answered Gagin. "'Come, Asya,' he went on, "'see after the supper. Let everything be brought out here. We will have supper in the open air. We can hear the music better here. Have you ever noticed,' he added, turning to me, "'a waltz is often poor stuff close by, vulgar, coarse music, but in the distance it's exquisite. It fairly stirs every romantic chord within one.' Asya. Her real name was Anna, but Gagin called her Asya, and you must let me do the same. Went into the house, and soon came back with the landlady. They were carrying together a big tray with a bowl of junket, plates, spoons, sugar, fruit, and bread. We sat down and began supper. Asya took off her hat. Her black hair cropped short and combed, like a boy's, fell in thick curls on her neck and ears. At first she was shy of me, but Gagin said to her, "'Come, Asya, come out of your shell. He won't bite.' She smiled, and a little while after she began talking to me of her own accord. I had never seen such a restless creature. She did not sit still for a single instant. She got up, ran off into the house, and ran back again, hummed in an undertone, often laughed, and in a very strange way she seemed to laugh not at what she heard, but at the different ideas that crossed her mind. 
her big eyes looked out boldly brightly directly but sometimes her eyelids faintly drooped and then their expression instantaneously became deep and tender we chatted away for a couple of hours the daylight had long died away and the evening glow at first fiery then clear and red then pale and dim had slowly melted away and passed into night but our conversation still went on as quiet and peaceful as the air around us gagin ordered a bottle of rhine wine we drank it between us slowly and deliberately the music floated across to us as before its strains seemed sweeter and tenderer lights were burning in the town and on the river Asia suddenly let her head fall so that her curls dropped into her eyes ceased speaking and sighed then she said she was sleepy and went indoors i saw though that she stood a long while at the unopened window without lighting a candle at last the moon rose and began shining upon the rhine everything turned to light and darkness everything was transformed even the wine in our cut-glass tumblers gleamed with a mysterious light the wind drooped as it were folded its wings and sank to rest the fragrant warmth of night rose in whiffs from the earth it's time i was going i cried or else perhaps there'll be no getting a ferryman yes it's time to start gagin assented we went down the path suddenly we heard the rolling of the stones behind us it was Asia coming after us aren't you asleep asked her brother but without answering a word she ran by us the last smouldering lamps lighted by the students in the garden of the inn threw a light on the leaves of the trees from below giving them a fantastic and festive look we found Asia at the river's edge she was talking to a ferryman i jumped into the boat and said good-bye to my new friends gagin promised to pay me a visit next day i pressed his hand and held out my hand to Asia, but she only looked at me and shook her head the boat pushed off and floated on the rapid river. The ferryman, a sturdy old man, buried his oars in the dark water, and pulled with great effort. "'You are in the streak of moonlight! You have broken it up!' Asia shouted to me. I dropped my eyes. The waters eddied round the boat, blacker than ever. "'Good-bye!' I heard her voice. "'Till to-morrow!' Gagin said after her the boat reached the other side i got out and looked about me no one could be seen now on the opposite bank the streak of moonlight stretched once more like a bridge of gold right across the river like a farewell the air of the old-fashioned laner waltz drifted across gagin was right i felt every chord in my heart vibrating in response to its seductive melody i started homewards across the darkening fields drinking in slowly the fragrant air, and reached my room, deeply stirred by the voluptuous languor of vague, endless anticipation. I felt happy, but why was I happy? I desired nothing, I thought of nothing. I was happy. Almost laughing from excess of sweet, light-hearted emotions, I dived into my bed, and was just closing my eyes when all at once it struck me that i had not once all the evening remembered my cruel charmer what's the meaning of it i wondered to myself is it possible i'm not in love but though i asked myself this question 
I fell asleep, I think, at once, like a baby in its cradle. End of section 19